0: episode 32. Today, I speak with Kevin Houlihan from Propeller Health about tuning up the care for COPD and asthma patients.
1: American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value.
0: Propeller Health has some pretty nifty sensors that they attach to inhalers used by COPD or asthma patients. The idea there is to really help the care team level up by empowering the patient and giving the, these providers, the care teams, the data that they really need in order to improve outcomes and adherence sustainably. Today, I am speaking with Kevin Houlihan from Propeller Health, and he can explain it better than I can. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. I am speaking with Kevin Houlihan from Propeller Health. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Kevin. Thanks, Stacy. Let's begin. Could you just talk about the origin story of Propeller Health? How did this organization come to be?
1: Yeah. So it's an interesting story. We started, the company started about four and a half years ago, but one of our founders, David Van Sickle, was at the CDC for a bunch of years and he was sort of hunting asthma. So he's very passionate about that. And then he got a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation grant at the University of Wisconsin here. We're based in Madison, Wisconsin. He came to Madison and started doing some work on asthma and epidemiology of asthma and respiratory disease. He was just frustrated by the lack of data. There there really hasn't been much advancement in the disease and management of asthma in the past several decades even. And so he had this idea that if he could get more information about when and where people were using their medications, that would be a really interesting signal that could aid personal health management for people and also population management to figure out if there were environmental factors that were causing asthma, outbreaks, or kind of what was going on. He had this concept of instrumenting inhalers with sensors, and he met up with a couple other technologists who had a really strong track record of health tech startups in the Madison area, and they got together and started Propeller Health. At the time, it was called Asmapolis, but we got a couple years into the market. Um, we gained our FDA clearance in 2012 and started selling commercially, and we had some of our programs saying, hey, we're using this for asthma, but it would be awesome if we could also use it for COPD. And so the name Asthmapolis was about mapping asthma, but it had a couple problems. It's hard to have a COPD program called Asthmapolis, and we also ran into this problem where people would mispronounce it. We were getting Asthmapolis and Asthmapolis and Asthmapolis, And so in 2012, we just did a rebrand and changed the name from Asthmapolis to Propeller Health.
0: So it sounds like you started out, founders working for the, the CDC realized that the care for asthma, and it sounds like a little bit later on, the care for COPD hadn't leveled up much. And the reason for that was a lack of data. So attaching these sensors to the rescue inhalers seemed like a great way to collect data. Did I summarize that well?
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
0: Where are you today? Where's Propeller Health today?
1: At a high level, we have two sensors that are FDA cleared and and, um, not only are those sensors cleared, but we have mobile apps that are cleared, web dashboards and portals that are cleared and some predictive analytics that help in identifying increased risk for exacerbations for COPD are also part of our FDA cleared solution. And our goal is just to take these sensors and get them on every inhaled respiratory medication so that we can learn more about what's going on, how people are using their medicine. And then by gathering that information that's either super hard to gather today or impossible in some cases, we can provide um, analytics and insights into what's going on and give the right information to the people at the right time so that they can act on the asthma and COPD and really improve the condition and outcome and management of those two diseases.
0: It's really interesting how you, one of the, the the themes throughout what you've been talking about is how little the care, I suppose you might say, for uh, or the healthcare paradigms for asthma have improved over decades. And yet it is one of the biggest, most expensive conditions in this country today.
1: Yeah. So if you take asthma, you know, just quick napkin math, asthma and COPD both have a prevalence in the U.S. of 8 to 12 percent. And so if you combine those together, you're talking about like 15 to 25 percent of the population might have asthma or COPD and it's just it's surprising that these are chronic conditions that are so prevalent and so everywhere but there's just not that that's been done with them and the other interesting thing is we've made huge progress in terms of the drugs that are available and the understanding of how to manage them that there can really be some strong outcomes with asthma and COPD if people are managing their asthma correctly they can get to the stage where it's not really influencing their life that much but there's you know that can be hard to do when there's not a great amount of understanding of how to do it and then the trend you know the seasonal trends with asthma and just the environmental and activity trends can really make it hard to identify what those triggers are and how you can manage that more properly and so you know there's an opportunity here to really make a difference and make people's lives better by just doing it smarter with technology that is starting to become more and more available.
0: And I think you've hit on something really interesting there that in my business, we always say the most expensive drug is the one that the patient doesn't take. If the outcomes are very dependent on the patient knowing how and when to administer their medication so that outcomes are actually diminished, you know, even if there's great progress relative to the chemical formulations of a product, if the if we're not helping patients understand how and when to use those medications, that, that's a huge roadblock to the, the, the outcomes that might have been achieved by the, the increased effectiveness of the medications can't be realized.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And there's a huge part of it, too, that's just patients not understanding what their expectations should and could be we hear stories all the time after people are using propeller, they start to see what's going on with their medication use, but they go in and talk to their doctor and say, Hey doc, I learned that my asthma is not well controlled, but I'm only using my rescue medication once or twice every day. And if you look at the guidelines, they should only be using the rescue medication one or two days a week. And so there's, they really go in with this sort of frustrated confusion and say, what's going on? It seems like it's going okay. I don't get what's happening. And the doctor can have a conversation and say, whoa, Like I didn't realize this because the last time we met, you said that you were doing fine, but it turns out you're not. So let's really take a look at what you're doing, what medications we're using, how we're managing your asthma, and maybe turn some dials on that with these reset expectations to improve your quality of life because people just start down this path and it gets worse and worse and worse and they just learn to live with that, which is so unfortunate because oftentimes the situation can be a lot better.
0: You know, what you're saying just dovetails perfectly with our guest last week, who is Dr. Ashish Atreya, who is the, the head of the App Labs at Sinai, Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. One of the things that his area of expertise, probably as far away from asthma and COPD as you can get, is irritable bowel disease. But one of the things that he was talking about is really the importance of what he calls treating to target. So, in other words, making sure that a patient really understands what the target should be. Effectively, he's echoing exactly the same experience as um as you. And interestingly, for him, probably well, the good news about asthma and COPD is that's probably a lot easier to use sensors to detect than right IBD perhaps. There, yeah. there are other challenges there. But let's talk about the um, evidence-based medicine for, for COPD asthma. I mean, what, what should this target really
1: be? What we want to see is that we want to see asthma patients who are well-controlled, and that's we use the guidelines to sort of aim to that goal. And that means that they're using their rescue medication less than two days a week, and they're waking up less than two days a month to use their medication in the night. And for COPD, it's a bit of a different disease. It's interesting because it's similar in that the same kinds of medications are used, but it's more chronic. And so what we're really trying to do there is just stop the progress of it and help people control it better. It, it might be worth mentioning a little bit more about how the medication, the two diseases work, two main kinds of medications. There's a daily medication, which is prescribed to be taken usually once or twice a day, and that's the, the, the adherence component, right? People don't feel differently when they take this, but it's by taking it, it helps them maintain control over their asthma, COPD, and sort of builds up in their system to be beneficial over time. And then there's the rescue medication, and that's the one that you take when you're having severe symptoms and it's a fast-acting medication, and it makes you feel better quickly, and so the rescue medication use is a very strong signal of the level of management. So there's a nice correlation we can draw there. And what sensing technology is so cool that we can see based on how much they're using that, how well they're doing
0: So basically, you can track via your sensor how often they're using their rescue med and when they're using your, their rescue med. And by combining those data points, you can effectively see how well they are self-medicating.
1: That's right. You know, and the interesting thing is, you asked what we want to get to. We want to get to this well controlled level of asthma with high adherence and COPD that stops progressing. But the reality of what's going on today is that adherence is horrible. It's probably around 25 or 30% to the daily medication. And so the an opportunity to improve control that's just not happening because people aren't using the therapy that they should be. And there's a lack of communication with their doctor, oftentimes, about how much they're using it and whether or not it's working. And then they don't have a great understanding of how much they're using their rescue medication. And sort of I was talking about before, the alignment on expectations and reality just sometimes isn't there because it's such a huge pain to keep track of this. The, The existing tools are journals and diaries and notebooks. And asthma and COPD are a burden already. And keeping track of it is even more of a burden on top of having the disease. And so those things all together result in a, you know, the current state of management of those is just not what we should expect.
0: What is the current
1: state, you know,
0: the the current care paradigm?
1: It's interesting. A lot of what's happening is the, the more progressive organizations have chronic care management teams, which is great but you mentioned earlier that the most expensive medication is the one that's not taken something similar, maybe the most expensive type of care is the kind that's given at the wrong time. Right. And so a lot of these, these care teams are sort of flying in the dark. They can't, you know, they can't really tell how patients doing and see, see what's going on. So there's recently with the affordable care act have been some readmission penalties, which are coming in for COPD. So if someone's discharged with COPD and they get readmitted to the hospital within 30 days, the hospital can see a financial penalty on that. And the idea there is that we're really uh, encouraging proactive ongoing care so it's not always just totally reactive. And that, that's a great concept. But the challenge is those care teams don't have the tools they need to be able to, to really execute that because they discharge someone from the hospital, put them on a plan, but it's hard to see how they're doing. and so. Typically, what happens is both for asthma and COPD, patients are set up on call schedules. Like For example, in COPD, maybe they get a call on day 7 and 14, 21, and 30. And it's just sort of like a fingers crossed thing that when I call on day 14, that's the day that I can make a difference. It's, that's the day that someone has just started getting worse and we can intervene and talk about their medication therapy and see if they need to do a course of steroids or something like that. But in reality, what can happen you know, more often is that the person starts getting worse on day 16, and then on day 18, they're in the ER. Then they get a call on day 21 to see how they're doing, and it's, it's too late. And so you know, there's just not the tools out there for the care teams that really allow them to be as efficient as they could be to help manage the patient populations. And at the same time, You know, the patients aren't keeping track of what's going on because it's just a pain. And so they're sort of, you know, making choices without accurate data sometimes, too.
0: Kevin, you said something which I wrote down because it's probably going to be the quote of the day. The most expensive care is care that happens at the wrong time. Very meaningful. All right. So we've got this kind of cluster that that's going on right now. You know, we've got patients that don't really understand what's happening. We've got a care team that really doesn't have the information to deliver to make treatment decisions. How does Propeller Health solve this problem?
1: Yes. Yeah, so our goal is to gather the information. And as easily and passively as we can without getting in the way and then provide insightful feedback at the right time. So we have these sensors which just clip onto the top of uh, respiratory medications. And then all the patient has to do is use their medication as they normally would, and we can capture a signal about how often they're using their medication, when they're using their medication. We can see where they're using their medication, what the weather and air quality were when they use their medication. And then we can gather all that information together and run our analytics on it and look for trends and and signals and actionable points and then give that feedback back to the patient to say, hey, you've forgotten to take your daily medication today. You should remember to take it. Or it looks like you're using more rescue medication than you normally do. You may want to have a conversation with your physician to see if there's something that you can change or adjust or do something about that the same time we can give that to family members. So if my child has asthma, I can get a reminder via text message or push notification on the, the propeller mobile app or email to remind me to give them their medication. I could track my parent who might be living on the other side of the country and has COPD. And I want to be involved in their care, but I'm not right there next to them. And we hear this all the time that parents, you know, they sort of stretch the truth a little bit and, and make things seem a little bit better than they may be. But I can get real-time access to this true factual information to be engaged in my parents' care. And then the same thing for the care team. We have care team dashboards and tools for them to be able to manage patient populations. And the idea there is that by getting these real-time signals about what's happening within the patient population, they can identify who to do the outreach for. So what they can do is they can take that day 14 call that's scheduled for John Smith. But in the dashboard, they see John Smith is doing well. He's taking his medication. He's not using his rescue medication. Swap that out for a patient that's maybe on day nine after discharge, who's really starting to look worse, and they can make that call instead. So it's really a way that they can use real-time, factual, processed, intelligent information and feedback from us to increase the efficiency and effectiveness and quality of the care that they can provide using their existing teams and infrastructures and processes.
0: Back to something that you said right at the very beginning, which is that propeller health can also fold in things like weather and air quality. Is that something that, I mean, obviously the patient's not typing that in. So you've got kind of a hookup with some sort of service that gives you that information based on the patient's location.
1: Yeah, so what happens is when the sensor grabs the information it talks to the smartphone, either the iPhone app or the Android app, and that then goes out we have a partnership with the weather channel, it goes out and grabs all that other metadata and appends it to the to the event that's happening, to the to the medication usage. And so we can see, you know, a whole bunch of different things that kind of automatically get exposed. Sometimes it's weather trends, sometimes it's time trends or location trends. One of our users discovered because he was got feedback from the propeller system. And we said, Hey, we have this trend that you keep using your rescue medication in this one place. And he was able to look on the map and propeller and say, Oh my gosh, it's my buddy's house. I always go over there. And he thought to himself, Oh, my, my buddy has cats. I never realized that cats were a trigger for me, but it sure seems like they are. And then he was able to go have a conversation with his doctor and say, Hey, you know, I realized that cats are a trigger for me. I go over to my buddy's house. Like, what can I do? And his doctor gave him some tips about, well, before you go over, you know, you can do this kind of thing. And and so he was able to, to realize these triggers in his life and change his care accordingly so that he's going to be- have a better quality of life. And that's a great example there because, you know, his expectations were just kind of too low and he's not having to change the types of things he's doing or the way he lives his life, but is able to do it at a better level.
0: And I can see that not only would you be able to help the individuals manage their own condition, but you'd probably be able to capture some very interesting population health statistics relative to if the air quality is this and the weather is that in this region of the country, there's an, there are exacerbations across the population. Would that be true?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. We see things, um, you know, there's in the summer, there's forest fires that happen in the, especially in the western part of the U.S. And we're always looking at data in geographic areas to see if there's correlations within where asthma, you know, or COPD rescue events are taking place. And so you can think of those as sort of exacerbation or symptom points. And if there's some geographical link to why those are happening there, is it near some sort of refinery or, or you know, a freeway or some other cause of pollution or air quality change that, that may be happening. And so there's really interesting data stuff that can continue to happen and only gets better with time and as the population grows.
0: And I'm sure that over time, also, that information is going to be very helpful at a macro level in in order to ensure that across entire populations, the care improves.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. We see, you know, there's opportunities for really interesting things about insight with, you know, how our care teams The outreach and care that care teams are giving, how does that impact the outcomes that the patients can be getting? And you can understand that there can be some really interesting things that can happen there in terms of best practices and and changing behavior and procedures for just discharges and that sort of um, ongoing care stuff.
0: I definitely am making a note. I definitely want to ask you a couple of questions about that in a second. But before I do, I had a question about how your reminders work. How much of that is automated and how much of that is care team sitting at dashboard, taking a look at a patient's data and concocting a text message to send out?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So it's, it's totally automated. When patients get signed up into the propeller system, when one of the things that we ask is what kind of medications are you taking and so that we know you know what kind of medications the sensors are going on. And if they're taking their daily controller medication, we ask, hey, how often do you take it and when do you take it? And that's just a really simple one-step thing during enrollment. And so we get this super valuable information about I take my controller medication at 8 in the morning and 8 at night. And so then what happens is when 8 o'clock rolls around and they haven't taken their controller medication, that's when we trigger the notification. The system just all does that automatically. It's really interesting, though, what we've seen there is that people tend to use those in a couple different distinct ways. And it's, it's uh, about half and half, actually, almost split right down the middle. Half the people use them as warnings that they've forgotten. So you know, they, they usually take their medication at 8 o'clock and you know, they they end up taking it between 7.45 and 8 o'clock. They don't get notifications and warnings for us. We pretty much stay silent in the background. But then there's another half of the population that tends to kind of use the notification as a reminder, as a trigger. So they get that text message at 8 o'clock and we see those sorts of patients, they take their medication at 8.01, 8.07, 8.11, 8.05. And it's really interesting to see how... That single feature is really used in a couple of different ways, which speaks to, you know, the variances in behavior that people have. And you can understand that there, things like that offer insight back to care teams about how to differently manage individuals within a population.
0: I definitely understand exactly what you're saying. For example, my husband is supposed to take uh, some medication once a day, and he set a reminder on his phone. And every time the reminder goes off, he stares at his phone looking very surprised. So (laughs) I think he would be in the the latter category there. So basically what you have done is based on evidence-based medicine or based on these population health learnings that you have... Been collecting, you've realized when the reminders need to go out and how they need to go out and kind of what they need to say in order to evince the best um, patient behavior improvements or
1: the best patient self management. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, the goal for us is to stay quiet until we have some insight to give you that you can do something with, right? And so if you're taking your medication all the time, we'll send you a weekly digest that says, hey, keep it up. You're doing well. But we don't need to bother you with a bunch of other communication because you're doing what you should be doing. And the goal is to let the burden of managing your asthma fall away and reduce the burden of having the asthma or COPD. And at the same time, if there's something we can tell you about, maybe it's time to talk to your physician or it looks like things are getting worse, that's when we'll let you know. So the idea is to there as a support system that um, you can fall back on when you need us and we stay out of the way when you don't.
0: And I can also see exactly what you were saying earlier about how this is definitely beneficial and makes a care team more efficient in that these sort of routine kinds of things are handled automatically. I mean, these are exactly the kind of things that human judgment or involvement might not be necessary to address because they're very quantitative, so to speak, thereby enabling. I mean, time is a limited commodity when we're talking about care teams here. So if they're spending their time doing something that could be automated, that means they're not spending their time doing caring for a patient that really needs human intervention and really needs the help of, of a person.
1: Right. And our goal is to automate all that identification and say hey here's a place we can provide this insight that here's a person that right now if you go take a look at what's going on with them we think there's an opportunity for you to make a difference so we can send out notifications in real time to the care teams too, and we link back to the you know the full set of all of the information that's available, and it sort of comes in layers, right? The first layer we put on top of it is a summary layer, and it sort of shows what's been going on recently with the patient. But they can the care teams can dive down as deep as they want to see all the granular details about what's been happening, but it offers an opportunity for us. It you know it doesn't really. It doesn't change the job that they are doing today and that they want to be doing, but what it does is it allows them to do that job more of the time and get, spend less of their try, trying to figure out when the right time and where the right place to do that job is. So they just get to kind of do the most valuable stuff more often.
0: Could you talk a little bit about that provider experience? You know, in other words, how do I receive those alerts and, and how is the data delivered? How exactly does, does this all go down from a provider standpoint?
1: Our goal there is we understand that there's uh, huge friction and hurdles in ramping up programs due to just the complexity of processes and procedures in uh, care delivery today. And so our goal is to fit into however you're doing it today and make it work with your tools that you have so that it's as turnkey as it can possibly be. So we have this, this set of care team dashboards that care teams can log on to and sort of track the patient populations in real time. And we have some care teams where they have program administrators who spend sort of all day in that dashboard. Like that's their source of truth for managing their respiratory population. And when something happens, they do some outreach. We have some of them where they do an outreach to the patient. The patient isn't doing well. They'll schedule a visit for the patient to come in later that day and the next day. And then give a summary of the information from Propeller over to the physician for the physician to use when they're having the meeting with the patient. But we have other other teams that spending all of their time in a new dashboard just doesn't fit into their current process. So... We have this similar type of notification system for the care teams where they can receive an email when it looks like a COPD patient may have a higher risk of exacerbation, and then that allows them to click into Propeller and see the details about what's going on with that patient, and then take some actionable, lead to some actionable behavior in that case. And so they can really not interact with us very much until the time is right to do so.
0: Overall... How have you seen this, I'm going to say smart intervention, improve
1: patient outcomes? We see adherence in populations increasing by more than 50%. I told you it was horrible. It is horrible. So we've seen populations where the adherence of the, the patients on propeller can go up by more than 50%. And that follows right in line with a lot of the literature and research that's out there that's already been done before us that shows that real-time smart interventions can make a difference and the ability for people to get these reminders when they should be taking their medication has really improved those outcomes. We've seen improved levels of asthma control in some of the clinical trials that we've done um, where patients using propeller are getting better they're managing their asthma better which can lead to lower uh, healthcare utilization costs because they have a better understanding of what's going on with their disease they can have more fact-based conversations with their physician and the physicians can target the outreach more efficiently
0: Who is hiring you Is it you know value-based provider organizations or payers or, or who hires you
1: Yes yeah, so it's a kind of a different range of of organizations And that's due in part to kind of the crazy way that the healthcare system is today in the U.S. We have some health systems, and they see value there in providing better, ongoing, proactive care. You know, they want to avoid these readmission penalties. We have some health plans where they see there's a cost savings for their members if they're using Propeller because their their health is better, and so they're going to be at lower cost. So they are purchasing Propeller to be able to provide it out to their members we have vertically integrated networks that we're working with that are sort of doing a little bit of everything. The ACOs, there's a great mix there, right, because they have the financial benefit and they have the ability to, to you know, weaponize these care teams with our tools to be able to provide better care. And so that's really sort of a seamless integration there. So it's kind of an interesting range of who our, who our customers are.
0: Going back to something that you had just touched on earlier, but which I took particular note of, is uh, you had mentioned that based on the data that you're receiving, you had noticed certain population health best practices and you had mentioned discharges. Do you have any insight there?
1: Some of it is is really interesting. Some of it is about how important it is to transition from you know, this initial diagnosis of COPD, say, into the first a week or 10 days or two weeks of care. You know, this is a person that is newly diagnosed with this disease. They have not been using this medication before. They're trying to figure out how that fits into their life. We see cases where people get confused and they start using their rescue medication as a controller and they use their controller medication as a rescue. And like, that's just not the way that those medications were designed to be used and we see the value of outreach at the right time to patients. It was interesting. I was at a a conference a few months ago, and there was a respiratory therapist there who said, when when I discharge my patients, I put them in pulmonary rehab, and that really has allowed me to intervene at the right time to prevent hospitalizations, and of course, that makes total logical sense, but then he went on to, to share this super insightful reason why that really was he said if I put them in rehab and they're supposed to show up on Monday Wednesday Friday every week for the first month after the diagnosis and they don't show up on Wednesday that's how I know that they're getting worse because their symptoms are bad enough that they're not getting out of the house and coming to this appointment he said that more than anything is the canary in the coal mine for me to be able to say hey, I think we've still got a day or two before it gets bad enough that they're going to end up in the hospital. But they didn't come, so we need to do some outreach here to intervene and, and improve the situation and, and avoid those negative symptoms and outcomes. But you know, the challenge there is he's, he's working on a granularity that's two or three or four days long. And so the idea is that we can provide that same kind of insight in real time.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting that he came up with what, what amounts to a very clever workaround.
1: Right. It's, like, it's just like a total hack. But it's super cool and interesting to see how some of those, like that's the classic down from the trenches, we really understand how it works regardless of what the procedures say, proving outcomes type of model.
0: From your unique perspective, what do you think one critical success factor might be to improve patient outcomes while reducing costs, Kevin?
1: I really think it's the ability to – the first layer is providing information for people to understand what's going on. And we see that all over, right? That's what Fitbit is all about, the jawbone the up, the, the connected scales. That's providing information about here's how you're doing so you have an awareness. And there's good value to that, but the real value I think comes from taking this just massive information that's available both to the patients and the care teams that can just be overwhelming and sometimes suffocating to the point where it's there's so much information that it's useless, and turning it into something that's valuable and that can be acted upon. So you know, in the case of a a pedometer. If you can say, hey, I can identify for the person that this right now is the most influential time that I can suggest that they either plan or execute on exercise, that's when you can really make a change. Or if you're doing some sort of weight management, if you can figure out when the right time to make the encouraging remark or encouraging support is to avoid a bad food choice, for example, that's where you can really see the benefits. And I think that plays across the huge range of what's going on in healthcare and with big data and all of it, it has to be meaningful data that's falling out of big data.
0: Yeah, I've heard the quote, um, data without analysis is just noise.
1: Right, exactly. I think with anything, with any healthcare as we move forward and try and get more efficient and try and get The healthcare professionals doing the job that is the hardest that they can do, so it's the most valuable for them to do, and spending more time on that, which helps increase efficiencies and reduce costs. And it sure seems like that's the direction that we're trying to get the healthcare system in the country to go. The key to that is pulling the signal out of the noise so that you can act on the signal.
0: Exactly. And I would also suggest that pulling the signal out of the noise also enables a more efficient use of human resources in the sense that people can operate to the level of their license. Um, Right. That you can enable um, nurses and medical assistants to be doing tasks which would have previously probably fallen in in
1: in a doctor's hands. Right, exactly.
0: Where can people reach you to learn more about Propeller Health?
1: The easiest way is probably just check out our website, propellerhealth.com. And we've got contact information there. And there's uh, an interesting blog, which we publish some insights. We've been fortunate to get a lot of really great press almost since our beginning, and that continues to happen. But the easiest way to sort of get in touch with us is probably just via our website.
0: Thank you so much for being on the program today, Kevin.
1: Thanks, Stacey. I really enjoyed it.
0: Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at RelentlessHealthValue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe... The cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address in the, there's a a sidebar on the right hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a, a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is also in that same right hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then each week your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our um, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, Health. So, Relentless with only one S, Health. I would love to hear from you. It, we would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. Thank you.